0: On today's Sobering Podcast, we'll talk about the aftermath of getting swept by Houston at home. We'll go into what that means for Bud Black. We'll talk about calling a Boston Hedges. And we'll talk about the Padres' struggling defense. This is the May 1st edition of the Gwintelligence Podcast. marver of change the padres well welcoming you to a somber edition of the gwintelligence podcast i am joined as always by padres jagoff
1: yes we are here and it's a a very different tone than our last podcast when i think we were ready to put deposits down on world series tickets
0: i know I, i think you're gonna get vintage change the padres today once we start talking about bud black uh That was just an embarrassing series. Um, for those of you who live under a rock, but still managed to listen to this podcast, the Padres were swept by the Astros at home and was, and it wasn't even like they were swept, you know, by losing very close games. They got basically no offense in the final game of the series. They were completely blown out, laughably so in another game. This was just an ugly series all
1: the way around. I mean, they were all around thrashed. It was a, it was an uncomfortable series to watch, and I think a lot of people had really high hopes going into it also. And some of that's that the Astros are a lot better than I think we gave them credit for, but that was a painful series to watch. And, and as gleeful as we were after that 14-run game in Colorado, it, it feels so much worse to have 14 scored on us at Petco against the Astros. Yeah, I mean, I know the Astros aren't the team a
0: couple of years ago that, you know, flirted with 100 losses pretty much year in, year out. But, I mean, I don't, I still don't see them as an above average baseball team. I know they have Springer, uh, who's looking like a quality major league player. They obviously have the American League batting champion, Jose Altuve. They've got some other guys coming through the system, like Carlos Correa, that I'm sure will be great players once they make it here. I still don't think they're a good team, though. I mean, they're playing, they're hitting Colby Rasmus fifth. Uh, They really don't have that much in terms of lineup depth. All of their players strike out a lot. Their pitching seems to be more smoke and mirrors than anything else. I'm extremely disappointed they lost three in a row to that team.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, very much so, and especially in in, in the manner that they they lost. I mean, they gave up, like, 30 runs in a three-game series, so it was an ugly, ugly, uh, ugly series. And to have it come on the heels of the Dodgers series where they played poorly at home... That was just really a worst case scenario home trip. Yeah, don't forget the the Astros series. You also had you know your one two three pitchers, Shields, Cash, uh, Shields, Ross, Ross and Cashner going too. So you know everything was set up to not to not play that poorly.
0: So so who who do we blame for it? Is it just you know a small sample three games in April,
1: or is there something
0: you know bigger at work here?
1: Um, you know, it's a small sample. I mean, I I see a lot of people freaking out and, and calling it like the season's over. They're two games out of first place. Um, if, if you'd started the season and said, Hey, you know, without getting into record, the Padres are going to be two games out of first place. I I don't think that that's a bad result. I think we would have all been happy with that. Um, there's obviously some some things that change and, and really when you get down to it, um, you know, we talked for so long about projections and statistics, you know, how the statistics were looking in the off season. They're not really that far off. I mean, the story that the projections told was a poor defensive team that, you know, possibly was, you know, a little bit above 500. And that's the way they're playing right now.
0: There was some pretty bad defense in that series. There was a two-run bomb that went off uh, Will Myers' glove that seriously I catch most of the time. And I think almost anyone that plays outfield on any of my softball teams over the years would have caught. And then, uh, of course, at the finale of the series on, on Wednesday, um, just an absolutely brutal game defensively by Will Nieves late in that one. Um, you know, Solarte had some nice plays, but, but overall, the quality of defense, that was the first time all year where I felt like
1: the defense actually might have
0: cost him a full game in that series.
1: Well, and you're starting to see, you know, it's still a small sample, but the the defensive metrics are, are, you know, came out today and they're bad. I mean, they're, they're really bad. It came out today, yesterday, something like that. I mean, Will Myers is statistically the worst outfielder so far um, in the season. Like, I mean, he, he's been bad. And you know that play where it bounced off his glove I don't even mind that it bounced off his glove but it's because he he was poorly positioned I mean one of the first things they teach you when you play you know real baseball little league is don't drift with the ball get your position and then and then move accordingly adjust and he just drifts back and that's why he wasn't in position to make that play Yeah no, I. And the I, metrics and also more, say, yeah, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, Upton made some great diving catches, Kemp made some diving catches. The whole thing is that they're making diving catches because their range is so poor. Um, th- those are ca- those are catches that other outfielders make without having to dive. So, you know, they're they're playing before the season. You know, a lot of the talk was, you know, let's hope that they they, they play a little better than their projections defensively. And you know, they're they're kind of playing exactly how it was predicted they'd play. Yeah, and I think one thing I'm also noticing—it feels like
0: every game, there is a, a whole bunch of strike calls that don't go the Padres' way, that go the way of the opponent. And I think for years we might have taken this for granted because I think if you're not experiencing the brunt of the pain, you're just not even noticing—you know—the positive side of it. You know, like when the Padres, for example, uh, defensively they get a nice strike call and, and it—you know—a Dodger goes down on strikes. And then a Dodger throws the same pitch, and it's not a strike. You know, I don't think we register that in our brains and our memory long term like we do something uh, that goes against us. And I feel like early in the season, it's happened so frequently that I'm starting to think that maybe the pitch framing we experienced for so many years with, uh, you know, Grandal over the past couple years and Rene Rivera last year, we are sorely missing that on this roster, and that just exacerbates. The issue defensively, because instead of getting you know favorable counts and getting easier hit balls, we're we're in you know increasingly high volume of batter's counts, and then they're hitting it at our poor fielders. And I feel like there's this uh, you know multiplying factor that goes into it that is really really starting to hurt us. And I you know for a while I thought it was just bad umpiring, and, it, and to some extent there just is bad umpiring.
1: But that's the whole point of framing. I mean, framing takes advantage of bad umpiring. Right. And,
0: you know, early in the season, I was willing to say, oh, it's just one or two games. And now, you know, a month into the year, and it's still consistently on a night-to-night basis, it feels like we're getting squeezed on a call here or there, and the opposing pitcher is getting a call here or there. You know, I'm, I'm willing to stand behind and say this might actually be a thing this season. We might actually experience this the whole season.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I I totally agree. Um, I, I think it is like a butterfly effect. And a lot of the things you notice about the pitching is there's a lot of meatballs that are like hitting the heart of the plate. And sometimes I wonder if that's just overcompensation, knowing that they're not getting the calls on the, on the edge of the plate. And they're, they're, you know, they're going for the certain strikes that are much easier to hit. And then you, then, you know, then you get a ground ball to Yonder Alonzo that goes under his glove or you hit a fly ball to center field that Myers can't get to. It's it's just it, – it adds up and and it's like – Yeah, or, or you throw a pitch to Will Nieves that he can, just can't catch. Yeah, exactly. Because it's a big pitch. Let me ask you this. This is um, – Will Myers, you know, obviously is trying center field for the first time. Do you think they'd be worse off if they just put Matt Kemp – back into center field. I mean, either way, we've got a poor defensive center fielder, but at least Kemp has a few years under his belt on how to play the position. This is going to sound funny, but honestly, having watched
0: all three of those outfielders this year, none of them are center fielders, but I feel like the one that would actually maybe do the best job is Justin Upton. As weird as that sounds, like Matt Kemp has no range. He's he's an athletic guy, and he doesn't seem to make awkward plays, at least – you know, you know, Will Myers not catching the two run home run. That was awkward. There have been other plays in the outfield this year that looked very, very awkward for him. Matt Kim doesn't have those. He's just he just gets a bad read or he's slow or something. You know, you, you notice yeah. it very quickly when Will Myers catching pop ups in shallow right field, no center fielder should ever be catching or getting to because it's a routine pop up for a right fielder. I, I just can't see Matt Kemp playing the center field. I mean, he's. He str- I, I feel like he's struggling in right range-wise. So the only guy that I would choose out of those three, if if I was going to switch, I guess out of the other two would be Upton. But I wouldn't do that. I I, I don't think. I mean, any there's of them no, out, there's uh, no so- winning
1: combo. I mean, uh-huh. Upton is actually so far statistically a worse fielder than than Kemp is. So, I mean, it's a sucky situation all around. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole theory of Preller was, you know, maybe defense doesn't matter and that maybe defensive metrics are overrated. But I think some of the fans are starting to see that maybe they're not so, not so overrated. And maybe we took for granted having such a good defensive outfield in the past few years.
0: Well, I don't know if it was a great defensive
1: outfield the past few years.
0: I mean, they were playing Amarisa out there, Seth Smith, Carlos Quentin. You know, I mean, they had Will Venable. I guess that was the one plus, right? You had him right. roving around maybe the outfield. When, he,
1: maybe when he, he played also.
0: Right, when he was healthy, but he hasn't been healthy. So I, I honestly think a lot of it is just the, the pitch framing. I really do think that the Padres are putting themselves at a disadvantage consistently throughout the game now. And that's manifesting in more balls put in play that are, you know, threatening uh, to be base hits. Um, they're also striking out more guys, which is nice. I think part of that might be just a, you know, you have better personnel you're working with now. But I, I, so, I don't know. So what's the, I, I so what's really the
1: solution with the pitch framing? I mean, Derek Norris has been one of our more more consistent hitters so far. I mean, he is producing not, at the plate. He's throwing runners out, but the, he's throwing a lot of runners out because they're running on him more than any other catcher in the majors. So um, I'm not worried about.
0: Derek Norris, but I, I think Will Nieves is, is such a complete zero. Not even a zero. He's a negative as backup catcher. I know he ran into a grand slam early in the year, and that was great. I was at the game, I really enjoyed that.
1: Um but man, but you we, gotta cash out. He's hitting that's well. all that's all the contribution that's all the contribution we need. He's hit his quota for the year. That that one grand slam is pretty much all we could have expected. Right, but he's hitting worse than a pitcher. I mean, at this point in
0: time, you know. If they had a DH in the National League, I'd be using it on Will Nieves on days that he was catching, yeah. and I would be letting Cashner or James Shields hit. And, well, I mean, he's
1: playing—he's playing once a
0: you week. You have coach. a guy in Triple play. you, you have—you have a guy. I know, but that's still 20% of your games. You know, that's that's as frequently as James Shields plays. You know, it's—I know we don't think of it as that much because it's a position player, but it's still you know one ninth of your position players on 20% of your games, which comes you know comes out to a, a non-negligible percentage of your production over the course of a year. I, I just think I'm, I'm watching these A statistics every day. We know that Austin Hedges is a great defensive player even if he was at the major league level now and he's hitting very, very well at El Paso and granted, that's hitters league, blah blah blah. I, I just feel like you have to call him up. I mean you I know that might stunt his development maybe. I'm not even sure that's a real thing that's been proven. But at this point in time, you're talking about a significant difference over at least one-fifth of your starts,
1: if not more. So how do you split the time between Norris and him? I mean, is Hedges a once-a-week once, once a week guy like Wilney Evans is being used? Because, I mean, we did give up a fair amount to get think, Norris. And, and, you know, when the trade happened, I went on this podcast and I said that was the one trade that I didn't understand because we had Hedges sitting there.
0: Here, here's what I think. I think that you can – Start, because, here's here's one thing. So the Potters don't have a great option on the bench against left-handed starting pitching in terms of they don't have Tommy Medica sitting there to spell Yonder Alonso. I feel like you could play Derek Norris at first on games against left-handed pitching, rest Alonso, and squeeze more than just 20% of your games out of Austin Edges. I I, I don't think that's a bad solution, to be honest.
1: I mean, Derek no, Norris... No, I, I, I don't either. I mean, I, I don't think the team's... Well, Maybe it was the team's plan to have him sit at Triple A all year, but you know the the date is passed where, where we're not going to lose a year of control of him. Um, you know he's not going to be. I don't know when the Super Two deadline is. Maybe they're waiting for that. But uh, I, I'm with you. I think that he can help this team. Certainly better than Will Nieves. So I mean right. at this point, every marginal improvement that we can find is is big. I mean that's where we are on the win curve. Where anything we can do to squeeze out additional wins is huge.
0: I, and, you know, I've never seen an inning as bad defensively as a, a, a catcher, as the bottom of the eighth, or sorry. Um, uh, the, top, uh, of ninth, top, top of the ninth. Top of the ninth on Wednesday. Inning, yeah, on Wednesday. That was I, – I I don't even remember how many errors he had. Was it five? Was it three pass balls and two throwing errors? Was that well, what it was? It was dreadful. So I wasn't watching the, the stat line quite as closely as I would be at home. But that was completely, completely dreadful. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong.
1: And, and Kenned, I mean, Kim- Kimbrell is probably difficult to catch because he, he has so much movement on his pitches, but Nieves is there to be a defensive, you know, backup. Not
0: only that, but this is what drove me crazy. In the bottom of the eighth, the Potters have one out. They have five outs left in the game. They're down two. And they don't pitch hit for Will Nieves. The next guy that hits is Derek Norris. So, clearly, I mean, they were planning on using Norris as bad in some capacity. So ostensibly what they did was they thought that they could use Norris's bat and still retain Will, Will Nieves' glove because either, A, it's better than Norris's, which might be what they thought, or B, they wanted to rest Norris's knees, which I think is – I think that's completely overblown in Major League Baseball. I mean, historically, injury rates at catcher aren't as bad as this whole 25% or 20% catcher rotation, never playing the, ga- the guy uh, day game after night game. I think it's completely blown out of proportion, but you watch, you watch Bud Black's moves here. He leaves in Will Nieves, basically an automatic out. Then he brings in Craig Kimbrel in a losing scenario when he's unwilling to bring him in uh, in you know tie games in the seventh or eighth inning when it's a high leverage situation, or other games earlier with runners on base where it's only a one run differential as opposed to a two run differential, um, and the Padres might have more outs to work with. Like the combination of that, those two moves makes no sense. Either you pinch hit for Will Nieves and you bring in Craig, Kimble, Craig Kimbrell and you try to win the game, or you do neither. And to burn your relief pitcher in that scenario, to leave Will Nieves in and then leave his glove in on top of the bat, uh, the at bat you give him, and to have him create, uh, make all those errors, it was just an absolute fantastic microcosm of how poor. But black is an in-game strategy, in my opinion,
1: because none of it made any sense. Well, it's not even it's not even common. I mean, you, you're you're not putting Norris in ostensibly because you're trying to rest him. Yet you bring out one of our most valuable pieces in Craig Kimbrell in a in a pretty much losing effort at that point. Um, it, like we've got arms in the bullpen, like waiting to be used. Like it, it doesn't make sense to rest Norris and then bring in Kimbrel needlessly. Like at least be consistent in the idea that you're resting the guys that have been playing a lot recently and stuff like that does drive me crazy with Bud plaque. Uh, I, and I guess we can, we can move on to that because that's, that's really been what I've seen, uh, among the fan base is a lot of, uh, fire black talk. Uh, a lot of people calling into the radio stations wanting to fire black. And it was just last week when we were discussing how much longer till he gets an extension. Um, Do you think that that's changed? Do you think he's on the hot seat at this point? Well, I've said for a long time that I thought he sucked at in-game managing. And I think
0: this season, it's... You know, part of it is that in years past, when the Padres weren't expected to be good, and they didn't have good players, I don't think anyone really focused that much on, you know, Fudd Black, or at least they always had the excuse that he doesn't have talent to work with in his back pocket. But even without talent, you can still... You know, judge the way a guy manages without that talent. You know, it's like if if you're at a poker game and someone's getting dealt really, really poor cards almost every hand, you can still judge the way they're playing those poor hands. You know, you don't have to be like, well, he was never dealt aces. You know, I mean, that's it's just an excuse. And now that the Padres are expected to be good, everyone's focusing on his moves and they're noticing that, hey, this guy's not very good at what he's doing. Uh, Between bullpen bullpen management, I think has been
1: incredibly poor, and I feel well, like my, my other pet peeve is Sunday. Sunday's game, uh, it's it's managerial capitulation to rest everyone during for one game. Like uh, if you're at work, um, they don't want your entire division taking vacation at the same time. They right. try to stagger right. it. So like yeah. I take vacation and they make sure that someone's there to back me up. Like it doesn't make sense to rest five or six of your starters in one game. Like it's not like that game doesn't matter. It counts the same in the standings. So maybe rest one guy one day, maybe rest Norris the next day. You know, I, I don't understand that strategy of just of just giving up.
0: Yeah. Or here's here's a novel idea: play all of your best players every day until they're clearly not performing well or actually are hurt. You know, right. like, like I I really struggle to grasp the concept that there has been something fundamentally changed about human biology in the past 20 years that guys who used to play 162 games every year when I was growing up can no longer play 162 games. Now, granted, Will Myers, I think, has played every game, or at least I know he's leading the league in at-bats. And I I feel like you have Justin Upton, who's been playing every day, every day has been healthy. But, you know, I just feel it's such a mumbo-jumbo at third, short, second, first, catcher, pretty much every game that I I don't know. I, I just don't get it. I mean, either you have a top eight players and maybe one platoon at a position, or you, you don't know what you're doing. And I think it's – he doesn't know what he's doing. I, I really don't. Like the way he's popcorn Jerko and Solarte, it never makes any sense which one's playing. You'll face a lefty and there will be Solarte out there. You'll face a righty and you'll have Solarte at first or something. I, I don't know. I mean maybe that hasn't happened this year. But it it feels like it never makes any sense to me. And yeah. I, I still don't think the lineup makes that much sense either. I, I, I don't think Will Myers is a leadoff hitter. I know he's been running Okay. But he doesn't draw walks. You have Yonder Alonso drawing walks and having great plate appearances, yet he's hitting six in the lineup with Alexi Amarista behind him. I, I just don't get it, and I, I don't think Bud Black will ever get it. And what kills me is when people say, when they try to compare it to Bochi, You know, you can't be afraid to get burned, otherwise you're never going to win. And if they lose Bud Black and he goes on to win World Series elsewhere, which I really do not think will ever, I. I I'm struggling to see him getting a a managerial job elsewhere with the way that he has done absolutely nothing with this
1: franchise for years and years and years. But that's besides the point. But even if he does, that's not really a driving reason to keep him, that you're scared that he'll win. Even if he goes on to win a World Series somewhere else, I I don't think he's the fit here. I mean he's – you can only give shots for so long before you reevaluate and want to improve. I mean, Preller did that with all of the players. You know, he, he st- took a step back, evaluated what we had, got rid of a lot, added a lot. Managers are the same. You can't just, you can't just skate along on the path that we're going just because we've been taking that path for nine years now. I, I, and it, it kills me when I keep reading small sample size because it's not a small sample size when you've got nine years of data. To, to or, use in that analysis. And and not just that, but he completely blew
0: the 2010 season. I mean, I, I hate revisiting that, but the job he did in that season, now granted they won way more games than expected, but they had – they completely tanked late in that year. Yeah, and they I did. Still hold that against, I still hold that against him. I still hold the Milton Bradley thing against him and, and how that season ended with uh, the way they didn't use PV in the Milwaukee series the way I thought they should have. Um so, I mean, there's there's a, a a wealth of evidence pointing that he's not a great manager, or at the very least, there's no evidence pointing that he is a good manager, at least in my opinion. And I, and I really hate it when people make the argument, specifically, you know, Mickey Coke and some other people on Twitter. They say something like, oh, well, who are you going to hire? Literally anyone. Like, I'm sure the Padres have 50 people, or maybe not 50, but at least five candidates in baseball ops, that have a better sense of in-game strategy, which is his, which is the job of the manager than what Bud Black has. And I know people will point at the people management aspect of it, but that's a completely different role. And you can have a people manager at the same time that you have someone with, with brains sitting on the bench saying, no, this is what you're doing right now. This is the optimal decision. I, I really dislike that those two roles are still married into this, quote, managerial role. I think that's like it's antiquated. It's like I said it on the last podcast. It's like saying I have to hire someone at work that's very good at p- coding in Python and is also an IT wizard with with Unix. You know, like they're yeah, they're both related to computers at some level, but they're completely different roles. Why do you have to have someone that's good at both of them? Why can't you have two people that are better at both of them working in tandem? I, I right. don't
1: understand that. Kind of like what we're doing with hitting coach. I mean, there's a reason we've got two hitting coaches. They they complement each other. They have different skills and they complement each other.
0: Right. There you go. And, you know, I, I just – I don't buy that there aren't better candidates than Bud Black. I feel like almost en- – maybe not almost anyone, but it's it's hard to do worse with in-game strategy than he's doing. It yeah. really – some of the things he's done, like leaving in pitchers to hit so they can get one extra
1: inning in a close game, I, I – Wednesday. I mean, with Kashner, there was no reason to leave him in. No, he was already at like 100 pitches. He threw yeah. like
0: close to 120.
1: I mean, unless um, I mean, maybe he's the best. Maybe he was the best bat off the bench at that point. I don't think he was, but if that's the reason Bud gave, I guess I would understand the the reasoning of that. But I don't think that was the reasoning. No, he had, he had to give his pinch hitters a day off. Remember, everyone got a day off. Yeah, yeah, it's critical. Yeah. So Look, and. and you know, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I played baseball. It's not the most taxing physical game unless you're pitching. <laughs> like, you know, playing the field or sitting on the bench and pinch hitting, it's not a physically taxing thing. You don't need that much rest. Half the game is resting. The hardest part about playing baseball is, you know, staying in the sun during
0: day games if you have light skin.
1: Like that Yeah, and, and honestly, the, the other hardest part is the mental part and when you take breaks, when you're when you're it's all about repetition and, and keeping a rhythm. And taking days off isn't necessarily a positive for hitters. Speaking of days off, what do you think of the whole Jerko situation right now? I mean, he's not hitting. Um, I, I it do I do think to some degree he's had a lot of hard luck, uh, you know, hitting line dry. He, he's hitting the ball hard a fair amount, but um, either – either Preller's got to decide we're going to stick with him and keep trying with him, or I, I think he's got to get some regular at bats at some point. I, I don't think playing one every four or five games is going to get him out of the funk. And I don't think this is going to be a slump where, you know, he hits a home run and then he pops out of the slump. Um, it's not small sample size again, when this is the same performance he had last year and the excuse was injuries, but again, well, and twins, right? Yeah. I, I think that's possible, but, uh, you know, we've got over a year of data now of it, and um, you know, at some point we got to say maybe, maybe he's regressed, actually regressed. Maybe it's not just a slump. It's yeah. very, it's very Khalil green esque. I I feel like
0: that's possible. I still think he's hitting the ball hard. At least that's what my eyes have been telling me, and the data uh, the data actually backs it up. I think in terms of velocity off the bat, he's second on the Padres right now.
1: Yeah, I saw that. So, so but, And again, it's hard to sit Solarte when Solarte's been the one, probably the most clutch hitter that we've had. He's uh, oh, consistently producing, so it's hard to sit him, and I get that. But you had a lot invested in Jed Jerko as well. I
0: think playing the hot hand is kind of a fallacy, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure that was one of the the main chapters in the book, uh, literally titled The Book, which was about playing percentages in baseball. yeah you know you got to you got to know what you have and if a guy like Salarte is playing very well it doesn't mean he's going to continue playing at that level i think part of the reason you, you know i i think having him on the bench is great we talked about this last podcast too he can hit from both sides he which makes him you know invaluable against all types of pitching he can play multiple positions which is nice when you have something like uh late inning substitutions and double switches and stuff And he's a decent hitter, and so you can bring him in in high-leverage situations late in games, and you have an ace in the hole. I think most of us would rather have him come out in that role than Jerko, and I think a lot of us do believe projections, and the projections still think Jed Jerko is a better baseball player. Well, depends on the projection system. The ones I trust still think that Jed Jerko is a better baseball player than Solarte, and I'll leave it at that, and I think – you have a lot invested in him. You don't have that much invested in Solarte, and you can make an argument on, on how Solarte is valuable off the bench. And so I think you have to start phasing Jericho back into second base or you risk really you know, isolating what – he led the team in RBIs last year. And I know the yes. team last year was horrible, but you can't do that if you're not at least producing at some level. And he has power. He plays a decent second base. I think you just let him play a series and see what happens, and maybe goes and, and
1: over look, ten it,
0: with six strikeouts, and that's more. You know, then you can actually make a more informed decision. But right now, playing them every third, third day and having them hit line drives that are outs, you know, you don't get anything out of that.
1: Well, and if you play with the projections again, like for how the team was going to do, a lot of the it's dependent on on Jed Jerko producing. And we don't have another replacement that I think has the potential to produce at his level. If he picks it up, if he performs like we think he should perform. And so it doesn't help us at all to to just put in a replacement level, second baseman to take his place just because he's slumping, you know, you stick with him. You invested a lot in him. Um, So I, I, I think that if, this isn't the perfect solution. If Bud is going to sit him and play him once a week, then send him down to the minors and get him some at bats. But I don't think he should be sitting that much. I think he should be the primary. I think he should be the primary second baseman.
0: No, I think he should be playing frequently. You know, at the yeah. very least, there's no reason that he shouldn't start always against
1: left-handed pitching. So, so I think the last controversial player that's come up and we, we both got razzed on the, uh, on the tweeter this weekend. Um, for being pro Ian Kennedy, there's no way they can take him out of the rotation. Yeah, I mean, I'll still stand by and say I think he was the best pitcher last year, and you can't really bench a guy for one bad start off of a off of an injury. No, that's crazy, and it's not like Despini has looked great in the interim either.
0: He looked really bad his last time out. Granted, that's out of the bullpen, but still. And Look, everyone I mean, looked and everyone looked but bad, but if, yeah. If, if anyone actually thinks that, you know, Despaigne is a better pitcher than Kennedy, I gladly accept PayPal. Uh, <laughs> so you know, we, we can bet on whatever statistics you want to bet on, whether it's ERA or, uh, you know, wins above replacements, probably the most salient one to use. But I I just don't think you give up on a guy who has 200 strikeouts. It's not even potential. Like he did it last year. You know, it's, it's a 200 strikeout, I wouldn't say it likelihood, but, but reasonable chance. And when you have a guy doing that and you have, uh, it's, it's especially valuable when you have a bad defense. Yeah. Um, and Despanier is for as great and as deceptively awesome. His first couple starts were, I I think you, you know, just like I was just saying with Solarte, you accept that production,
1: but you don't assume that's always going to be his production. Um, so, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I think it could be argued that maybe he should have had another rehab start. I mean, but other than that, I don't think there's any way you take him out of the rotation.
0: No. Uh, I mean, not unless the Padres go out and acquire like, and Cole Hamels. a Cole player that is left-handed, you know, I mean, that would be the only, right.
1: But, you but... think there's anything to do in the bullpen that, I mean, that's the other thing I'm hearing on the, uh, on the talk radio and the Twitter, uh, I don't think yeah. it's an easy fix. I mean, I think that you stick with the personnel we've got. I mean, they, they've made small changes. Um, you know, Nick Vincent went down. Ririck was up here. He has got sent down. Uh, who else have we had? We've had a revolving door of sorts. I mean, we're definitely trying a bunch of people. Yeah, Quack is back up. Uh, Mazzoni. Wasn't Mazzoni? Oh, yeah. yeah he's kind of up. That. Corey Mazzoni. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're, there's been churn, and I think they're trying to find the guys that are going to stick. So I, I don't think there's anything they can do beyond that.
0: I, I mean, think strategic, strategically, I,
1: I don't even disagree with the people that have been called upon from the bullpen in most cases. I mean, Benoit's gotten, you know, he's given up some critical hits, but you're not going to take him out of the eighth-inning role uh, at this point. Um, I, Kimbrell I, I hasn't like, really been I lights mean,
0: out. but I think I would gonna... be quacking Bushmore. Now, I know I think he had a rough outing again recently, but... I mean, statistically, his minor league stats and what he's done for the Padres—you know—he's a solid pitcher. I don't—I don't get—I feel like he was sent down strictly because he had options um, to be sent down to start the year, but that he's like a significantly better pitcher than some of the other guys that are out there. Right. Um, I think part of it is also they're missing that. I mean, they used to have going back years. I mean, they used to have a ground ball ace in the bullpen almost every year. I mean, Luke Gregerson was that guy for a while that would induce it seemingly a ground ball whenever you needed it. Um, right. And they don't have that guy right now, and that's that might actually be a big deal. Um, and, again, uh, the defense does them no favors. I mean, I, I don't think any of us can point to an actual positive defender on this team right now. I know before the season some people thought Yonder would be. That hasn't come to
1: fruition uh, You know, I think at this point I'm leaning towards, I mean, Amarista and barmis, I guess, I mean, they've been adequate, at, if not a little better, but yeah, <laughs> other than that, I don't know who you say. Yeah. I mean, Barmas missed some, I, I don't know. I'm not, a I Barmas mean, fan. they've made some errors. I mean, both of them made some errors, but if you're talking just steadiness in the field, I'm not even saying he's a gold glover. I'm saying he's not awful. Like, at the, at this point, saying they're not awful is, is is the best defenders on this team. Yeah. So And, and honestly, I think Solarte and Jerko are, are both playing second base pretty well. No, no, I agree with that. I was I was going to say that I think Jerko, I guess, is the
0: guy you would point to in Solarte. I mean, he had a rough start in that Arizona series at home, but uh, he had some nice diving plays in the, the Houston series there. I... I I don't know. I, I, before the season, I felt like maybe those flaws that, that people had pointed to uh, were exacerbated in their you know, projections and, and all of the anti-arguments against them. But I, I feel like I'm actually seeing that on the field. And that could be confirmation bias or it could be that the defense actually is very bad.
1: But well, I mean, any, let's face it, though you're... it's the same team that went 10-5 and five to start the season as well. So I, I do think freaking out over a bad week is probably premature. Um, I mean, give the season time. I, I, think, I, I think they're going to improve, um, or at the very least, not be so awful in the field. Somewhat regress to the mean, I guess. I, I don't think that where they played this week is really what I would project out for them. And the same goes for the bullpen and the pitching. I mean, we, we yeah. were projected to be, you know, a top three bullpen, and I, I don't doubt those projections at this point.
0: No, I still think, you know, Thayer, Benoit, Kimbrel is obviously a very solid back end. And I think... Right. There's a quack the in there. there. Yeah, it's a good bullpen. I'm willing to... Yeah, but I mean, the issue here is that they're using the middle relief options in close ballgames when they shouldn't be. I mean, that, and that, in my opinion, is, is the crux of it. You know, Brandon Mauer and Sean Kelly throwing when you're only down a run. Yeah, you're losing, but if you're pitching them when you're losing by one run, there's, you know, a much higher likelihood you're going to be losing by two or three runs right. than if you were to pitch your better pitchers. And sure, maybe then that means that you lose an opportunity two days from now to throw a pitcher on three consecutive days. But, you know, the odds are that's not going to be the case. And so you rack up the wins – while you can rack up the wins, you don't necessarily play for the future because that might never come to fruition. That's,
1: that's part of the managerial thing that drives me nuts. But it's like, it's like the same thought of like somehow games in April are less important than games in September. Um, And that's why like capitulation Sunday against the Dodgers made me so angry. I mean, these games count and they, they matter in the long run. So, um, playing to rest arms in the short term or, or playing to basically lose uh, i just will never understand that and that that's my number one complaint about bud black
0: so uh, i got i gotta wrap it up here i know we want
1: to do a little quick one and just catch up yeah, with, yeah well yeah this, this podcast is sounding very much like a 2014 podcast but i i, I do think in the coming weeks that things are going to be better yeah and i i, I want to make it clear like my bottom line is i'm i'm not saying the sky is
0: falling i'm just saying that the flaws that people pointed out before the season, I'm seeing them. Uh, I'm still very excited to watch this team. I mean, even when they struggle, you're still watching good players struggle. You know, it's, Yes. It's it's like – I think at this point I, I can put it into an analogy like it's a car, right? For years, we might have had a car in San Diego, but there was no engine in it. There was no one sitting in the front seat trying to turn the keys on. Now the keys, you know, the, the ignition's – the car's going, right? We're stuck in second gear. We got to figure out a way to get out of second gear. But at least the car's going, and so I, I can at least go to the game and enjoy it right now, or watch it at home and enjoy it. And and I haven't missed a game so far. Actually, I haven't even missed an inning. But so, as disappointed as I am on that home series, I'm I'm not willing to you know say everything's lost because I don't think that's that's fair.
1: Hey, better than other Aprils, am I right? Definitely better than other Aprils. Better than other full seasons, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, and to be honest, the next month the schedule is a little easier. We did have a pretty tough schedule in the first uh, first month, so um, yeah, I'm expecting a turnaround of sorts. So uh, I think the next time we speak, uh, my guess is we'll be in much better moods. So uh, yeah, let's just keep rooting for the Padres this week. Big series this weekend against the Rockies. So you going to any of those? I'm not. I will be at all of the Nationals games, though. Nice. I will. I will be at
0: two of the Rockies games this weekend. Um, should be a good time. I'm looking yeah, forward. Definitely. I, you know, I I I think a lot of people don't like the Rockies, but um, I enjoy seeing Tiu play, and I, I like some of the other guys on that team aren't so bad. And and even though the Rockies, by and large, aren't great, largely because they don't have good pitching. They're
1: entertaining to watch. I mean, just watching Arenado at third base is entertaining. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, I got to get out of here. But uh, we will talk soon again. Hopefully it'll be a much more positive tone.
1: Um, Until next time, though, go Padres. Go Padres.